You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly. Today's episode was actually supposed to be out yesterday for our Missing Monday case. But if you don't follow on Instagram, you may have missed it. I had to delay this episode today because I actually gave myself a concussion. My family and I went out for a Christmas event here in Las Vegas and they had an ice skating rink and I got a little too confident on my ice skates and I ate it pretty hard. I hit my head off the ice and I just really haven't been feeling the greatest. Um, I haven't gone to the doctor, but I am quite certain I do have a concussion. So with that said, bear with me on recording today. I am... Not feeling 100%, but here we are. So as you can tell from the title of this episode, today's case is actually involving two disappearances of two different individuals, which I don't think I have ever done previously before. However, this story involves a mother and son who have gone missing, and while that does happen in some situations, it's usually due to an accident or something along those lines, and the individuals are usually found. When reviewing this case, it does not seem like that is what happened here, which of course we will dive into all of the details. And while it does seem like it's quite obvious that a certain someone is involved and that foul play is assumed, we do have to keep an open mind when reviewing all of the details of this case and any case that we look into. I want to remind you all that just because someone is a person of interest, that does not mean that they are a suspect. And I think sometimes people don't realize the difference or they forget the difference. A person of interest simply means that someone is being looked at as having information pertaining to a crime. A person of interest may be someone who can provide some sort of information that leads them to a suspect, or they themselves may turn into a suspect. And of course, a suspect is someone they suspect committed the crime. For those that are new to the podcast, I first want to say welcome. We are so happy to have you. Missing Mondays is a segment that was created to help keep missing persons' name and information in the media the best we can, and to hopefully help aid in their return home. 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. at any given time, and while some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. It is our mission with Missing Mondays to not only share the information of the missing, but to also let the families know that their loved one is not forgotten. We will continue to share these stories in hopes that someone, somewhere, knows something and will come forward with that piece of information. Someone knows something on these cases, and it's a matter of one person just coming forward with that information to help give these families the answers that they so desperately deserve and need. So without further ado, let's get into today's Missing Monday case. 
Today's case is on the disappearance of Susan Osborne and her son, Evan Chartrand. On May 29, 2017, 42-year-old Susan Osborne and her 14-year-old son, Evan Chartrand, went missing from Holtville, Alabama, which is in Elmore County. Susan and her son lived with Susan's third husband on Waterview Drive in Wetumpka, Alabama. And I want to take a second here just to say that there was some mixed information stating that they went missing in Holtville, while others say that they went missing in Wetumpka. But just to clear the air, these two towns are actually neighboring towns where you cross over one road and you're in the other town. So I do know that their home is considered in Wetumpka. But Evan attended high school at Holtville High School, which again is in Holtville, but minutes from his home in Wetumpka. Now, Evan wasn't Susan's only child. She also had a younger daughter who I believe was 10 around the time of their disappearance. And once more, there are mixed reports on this, but Susan for sure had custody of Evan, but someone else had custody of her daughter. As I stated, Susan had been married three times at the time of her disappearance, and both Evan and her daughter had different fathers. In the reports that I saw, it stated that the daughter had lived with Susan's ex-husband, and in another report I saw that it said that her daughter lived with Susan's father. But either way, the daughter did not live with her mother at that time. Now, Susan's previous marriage, she had to flee the home because it had become unsafe and unstable. When she left this husband, she had absolutely no money, but the environment was so unsafe and toxic that her brother stepped up to really help her get herself and the kids out. Eventually, Susan met a man by the name of Jerry Marshall Osborne, and he seemed like the most incredible man. They had a great relationship, and he was quite the provider for her. Jerry previously had served in the Air Force before he was medically discharged, and then after that, he began working as a 911 dispatcher. He was the stability that Susan and her son Evan needed after such a terrible marriage before. He doted on Susan hand and foot, and like I said, he was this amazing provider for her. He bought her anything she wanted and needed and did the same for her son Evan. In January of 2013, Susan and Jerry purchased their home that was located on Waterview Drive near Highway 111. This house was a dream come true for Susan. It was a nice, newly built home that had only been built the year prior. So she was finally getting this new, fresh start at life with her son. And in January of 2014, Jerry and Susan tied the knot. After getting married, Jerry convinced Susan to quit her job and become a stay-at-home mom because he was able to provide well enough for them, and he told her that he would take care of her. 
life seemed to be going really well for them. And at the time that Susan went missing, the couple had been married for four years. Jerry was this incredible provider who made sure that his wife and stepson's needs were met. But when Susan's family hadn't heard from her for over two months, they finally reported her missing. And yes, I said that right. It was Susan's family that reported her as missing after two months had gone by without being able to get in touch with Susan, not Jerry. Which, of course, this is all extremely odd and suspicious that her own husband and the person that she had lived with never reported her or her son as missing. Two months is a really long time to have not reported someone as missing, and they hadn't done so earlier because both Jerry and her family had reasons as to why they didn't sooner. For Susan's family, they didn't live in the same state as Susan and her husband. They lived several states away. And not to mention, Susan was a fairly private person. She wasn't one to talk to her family on the phone daily or even weekly for that matter. And I have to say that I can somewhat relate to Susan and the connection she had with her family. I myself have lived away from home and from my family for 12 years now as my husband is active duty Air Force. And the older I get and the more my kids get older, I am just busy. Whether it be being busy with work or my kids' school activities, my husband's stuff he has going on, it can be hard sometimes to stay in communication with family. There are times that I don't talk to my mom for a couple weeks beyond a quick text here or there. And I am assuming for Susan, that was how it was. She was busy with her life in Alabama, and so it wasn't uncommon for some time to pass between each time that she spoke with her family. And as I mentioned, again, she was a private person. Her family did meet Jerry at some point, but beyond meeting him just a few handfuls of times, they really didn't know him or know much about him. This could again potentially be due to them living states away, or maybe Susan just didn't want to get into her personal life too much with her family, considering this was her third husband. It was right after Memorial Day weekend in 2017 that Susan's mom started to feel uneasy about the fact that she hadn't heard from her daughter. Susan wasn't responding to any text messages when her mom tried to get in touch with her to show her pictures from a graduation of a family member. And even though, again, Susan wasn't around her family or spoke to them often, she would have been excited to have seen this other family member's graduation pictures. And she would have wanted to have felt like she was included in seeing those and celebrating this person's accomplishments. So after Susan's mother, Linda, waited to hear back from her daughter, the longer it went, the more concerned she got. Now, of course, she didn't want to rush to call the police because her daughter didn't reply to a few text messages. But slowly, more and more people began to notice the lack of communication from Susan. And one of those individuals was Susan's best friend named Holly. Holly and Susan lived in the same neighborhood as each other when they first met. And right off the bat, the two became fast and close friends. They were inseparable, and Susan spent a ton of time over at Holly's house, where the two would just hang out and enjoy each other's company. 
But right before Memorial Day 2017, Holly moved to the state of Florida. In the days after Holly left, she and Susan still communicated through text messages and phone calls up until May 29th. And then to Holly's surprise, Susan stopped responding to any of her calls or texts that she had sent her. At first, Holly thought that maybe Susan had dropped her phone and it broke or something had happened along those lines. But when many days had gone by and not a word from Susan, she started to think that maybe Susan was upset with her because she moved away and kind of assumed that Susan would eventually just come around on her own if she was given some space. So Holly gave her some space, but after weeks of no word, she tried to reach out once more. One of the times that Holly tried to call Susan before she was officially reported missing, Holly found that Susan's phone had been disconnected and no longer in service. It was around this time that Linda found the same thing, and this is when both Linda and Holly started to think that something more was going on. To them, this was something more than Susan just being upset with Holly or too busy to talk to her mom. Something seemed like it was wrong and off about the entire ordeal. This is when Linda decided that she was going to try and reach Susan by mail. She thought that, okay, maybe there are some sort of financial struggles. Maybe they couldn't afford to pay the phone bill, so it was shut off. Maybe something happened to Susan's phone and it broke and she was unable to get a new one. There was a million different scenarios that Linda came up with as to why her daughter wasn't responding. But surely if she sent something by mail, Susan was bound to get it and get in touch and tell everyone that this was just one big mix up. On top of trying to call Susan, both Holly and Linda tried to contact her son Evan on his cell phone as well, which eventually was disconnected as well, and again made Linda think that this was something to do with finances and maybe unable to afford their phones. Because both Holly and Linda didn't know Jerry, they had no idea how to get in touch with him either. So they were scrambling around trying to figure out what to do to get in touch with Susan. The one reassuring thing, though, to everyone who was worried about Susan was that if something had in fact happened to her, they were certain that Jerry would have contacted the family to let them know of a tragedy if one hit. So as I said, Linda made a last-ditch effort to get in touch with her daughter by sending her a letter in the mail. But when that letter was returned to Linda as undeliverable, she had enough. Something was completely wrong, and it was time to quit making excuses as to why Susan, or even Evan for that matter, wasn't calling back. So after two months of radio silence from her daughter and grandson, on July 29th, 2017, Linda officially reported Susan and Evan as missing. After two months of no communication from Susan or her son, authorities showed up on the doorstep of the home that Susan shared with her husband, Jerry. Going into this case, authorities were assuming that this was just likely one big misunderstanding and that her family was potentially overreacting because the husband would have reported them as missing had they truly been missing. 
When they arrived at the home, the authorities also noted that Susan's car was in the driveway. So again, this must be a crazy misunderstanding. But when they knocked on the door and Jerry answered, the authority standing on the doorstep was hit with the smell of cleaning products. And I'm not just talking a little bit of Comet here, some Windex there. I'm talking they were slapped in the face with the smell of some heavy, heavy, heavy cleaning solutions. It was also very apparent that he himself had been cleaning by the way that he looked. Now, when asked about Susan and Evan, Jerry said that they weren't there, and he also said that they no longer lived there, which this took authorities by surprise because from the report that they gathered from her family, this is where she was supposed to be living. So they were really taken aback by that, but Jerry had a story. He claimed, he claimed that on Memorial Day, Susan told him that she was leaving him for another man. Jerry claimed that some random guy showed up at the home and picked up both Susan and Evan, and then they all left. He said the following day after this, Susan, the man, and Evan all came back to the house to pick up some personal items, a couple pieces of furniture, and a few other things. He said that when they left, that was the last time he saw them. So authorities were like, okay, tell us about this guy. Give us some details, a description. And Jerry couldn't give them anything. The description that he provided was extremely vague. And I don't know exactly what he told authorities or if he gave a description of the car, but he provided them with no name. And so authorities didn't really know what to do or exactly believe. But Jerry just kept saying that they ran off with this other man. They're alive and well somewhere else. And he also was able to provide authorities with a receipt that was apparently for an oral surgery that Evan was supposed to have and that he supposedly went to days after they left. So Jerry hands this receipt over trying to prove that they're still alive And when authorities really took a look at this receipt, they found that it wasn't a receipt for the actual surgery itself. What it was, was a bill for a missed appointment because Evan never showed up for his scheduled surgery. And while this doesn't mean anything exactly, it is strange that Jerry is using this to try and provide some sort of proof that they're still alive and that he had gone to his surgery, when in fact he never showed up, which further aligns with the possibility that something bad has happened. But with nothing to go on, authorities started to examine Susan's history with her ex-husbands. They did find out about her running away from the previous home life situation I mentioned earlier. And at first they were like, okay, maybe this is the same scenario here. She ran off to escape this once more. But the more they learned about Susan, the more they learned that this wasn't the case. Though, yes, she did run away from that previous relationship, she was still in contact with her family during that time. She still made sure to have contact with the ex-husband despite not wanting to be with him. She sent him things through certified mail, kind of just letting him know that every step that she was taking as far as the divorce and such went. She didn't just go completely silent on everyone like this situation that is going on in that moment. So this idea that she just ran off with another man, cutting everyone off, didn't seem very plausible. 
Not to mention, let's not forget that Susan had another child. She would have never just ran off and not continued to stay in touch with her daughter. Everyone who knows her says that there is absolutely no way that she would have done that. The more authorities looked into this case, the more they learned. Susan's best friend Holly told authorities that she and Susan told each other literally everything. They confided in each other about everything, including some stuff that I am going to get into here briefly. But if there had been another man, Holly would have known about him. That is how close their relationship was. There is just no way that Holly would have been left in the dark about that. This entire story of her running off with another man just wasn't sitting right with authorities. All of the things you'd expect to see in a scenario like this just wasn't there. And one big thing was the fact that Susan's car was left behind. Now, this could be because maybe the car was under Jerry's name, which I don't know either way. But you'd think that if you're wanting to leave someone, whether it be with another man or not, you would have taken your own means of transportation, Not to mention, if she was leaving for another man, you would think that some sort of legal paperwork would have been started for a divorce, but there was none of that that I'm aware of either. Authorities weren't convinced either, so they went back to the house the following day with a warrant to search the property in hand and plans to speak with those in the neighborhood. When they arrived that day and knocked on the door once more, they found Jerry deep cleaning the house for a second day in a row. And while that is obviously strange that he's being Mr. Clean two days in a row, that doesn't mean anything necessarily. Maybe he's just a clean freak and is very particular on his home. But what the neighbors said had all of the investigators really questioning this two-day deep cleaning session he was doing. The neighbors all shared with authorities that during Memorial Day weekend, they witnessed Jerry pulling out furniture and other things from inside the home. And while that didn't seem odd to begin with, they then saw him dragging these items to the back of the home, disassembling them, and then burning them in a 50-gallon drum. One of the items that the neighbors described matched the description of Evan's bed. According to the neighbors, he brought out every piece of that bed. He burned the mattress, the bed frame, and even the bedding. On top of seeing him burn the entire bed, the neighbors also recalled other items that he had burned that very much belonged to both Susan and Evan. So many of the neighbors in the neighborhood was able to corroborate this story of him burning things because they could all remember how smoky it was that weekend. And in the days after that weekend, as he slowly worked on burning this stuff. I guess neighbors several houses down recalled just this thick smoke throughout the entire neighborhood. The amount of smoke was so bad that the neighbors couldn't go outside Nobody wanted to open their windows, and the smell of burning plastic and wood was too much to bear, and the entire neighborhood was upset because it pretty much ruined their Memorial Day outside plans. But on top of this information that the neighbors provided, they said that after he was done burning all of the items that he had burned, they noticed that Jerry was renovating the entire home. And while people renovate and upgrade things all the time in their homes, this house was only like five years old at this point. 
And he wasn't just doing small things to fix the house up. He was literally ripping out the hardwood flooring, installing new carpet. He painted the entire inside of the house and purchased all new furniture. And again, this isn't completely off the wall for someone to want to renovate their home. But the timing just seemed utterly wrong and quite suspicious given the information we now know. And not to mention, it was said that not long before Susan and Evan vanished, she herself actually just painted and did some things to spruce the place up. Another thing that the neighbors also noted was that while Jerry was renovating the entire house, he never hired help. He did everything literally completely by himself, and he never had a friend or anyone else helping which that's a really big task to take on as a person by yourself. Susan's family also asked authorities about if there happened to be two dogs that were still living with Jerry. These two dogs were Susan's pride and joy apart from her children. She loved these dogs and she was a huge animal lover, but these two dogs were her companions. Authorities noted that the dogs were not in the home, and so that kind of aligned with this theory that she and Evan truly did run off. It would make sense that Susan would take her two dogs with her if she was leaving with this other man. There was no way that she would have left them behind. But the authorities found out that on July 12th, both of the dogs were taken to the local shelter, and when they looked into who surrendered them, the name Jerry Osborne was on the paperwork. None of this is making sense whatsoever. Authorities at this point started to believe that there was just no way this woman who loved her dogs would abandon them, that this mom would only take one child and abandon the other. And then to completely cut off ties with the family entirely and her 14-year-old son to do the same, this was just not quite plausible for authorities. And so they started to consider that foul play was involved. And it was clear as day to them that the most likely scenario here is that Jerry himself was involved with whatever happened. But it seems like Jerry did everything in his power to completely wipe away any evidence that may have been left behind with the massive burn party he had and then the total renovation of the home, and not to mention his super spree of cleaning. When authorities asked Jerry about why he renovated the home in the weeks after his wife allegedly left him, he claimed that the renovation was the idea of his parents because prior to leaving, Susan trashed the inside of the home by spray painting the walls with nasty words and phrases. And this was his way of starting fresh with a completely clean slate of a house. But the investigators weren't convinced. If she just wanted to leave with another man, why would Susan completely take the time to trash the entire house? It just doesn't make sense that she would do that if all she wanted to do was get out of the relationship. And of course, once more, this doesn't explain why she would completely go dark on everyone. And let me mention that they also found that after that Memorial Day weekend, none of Susan's bank accounts or her cell phone or anything was used ever again. She and Evan seemingly just went poof off the face of the earth. 
With not much to go off of, the local police department brought in the State Bureau of Investigations to see if they could somehow find something within the home to potentially piece together what happened. The State Bureau of Investigations brought in luminol to test the home for any traces of blood, and there were areas within the home that lit up like a Christmas tree. In total, they found 20 different signs of blood that ranged from the kitchen, the laundry room, and one of the bathrooms within the home. Now, when considering the 20 different signs of blood, I first was thinking, okay, maybe some of this was potentially from accidents over the years, cutting yourself, a bloody nose, you know, tripping and falling, something like that. But the State Bureau of Investigations said that this looked like a slaughter and that it had looked like a murder had taken place by the amount of blood throughout these rooms. So they took swabs and samples of all these areas that the luminol lit up, thinking that this was it. It was finally going to come out that he had murdered Evan and Susan. But unfortunately, due to all the chemicals and cleaning solutions that had been used over and over, the DNA testing that was done came back as inconclusive. And there was no way to prove whose blood this was. Which this is so utterly frustrating because it seems like a big red neon sign is pointing and flashing at one possible outcome and possibility here. Yet they couldn't get a positive confirmation. After being unable to positively identify the blood, they brought in cadaver dogs to see if they could find any other evidence or possible remains on the property. They had two different dogs come in, and both dogs alerted in and around those 50-gallon drums that Jerry was burning things in. And even though the dogs alerted to the scent of human remains inside the drum, authorities was unable to find anything inside because everything was completely burned up. Authorities were also told by Linda, Susan's mom, that Jerry had a very advanced surveillance system. And apparently this surveillance system was something that he had put on the property to keep an eye on things. Linda specifically remembers asking Susan if this surveillance system was necessary because she felt like it was extremely overkill. This wasn't just some little surveillance system like a ring on the doorbell or one of the cameras that faces the garage. No, this was a massive, massive system that had cameras literally facing at every door and every window of the home. So authorities were hopeful for some sign to prove either here or there about whatever happened to Susan and Evan. And it was no surprise at all to me that they found out that the days after Susan allegedly ran off with this new man, on June 1st, old Jerry destroyed that system and went and purchased a brand new one. One thing after another after another keeps pointing to Jerry, but they literally couldn't find any physical evidence to either prove she and her son were truly in fact dead, nor could they find any evidence that she was alive and ran off with another man. But things, I'm sure, as you can assume, don't look good. Now, to try and play devil's advocate here, people do some crazy and wild things after a breakup or after they feel like they've been scorned by a lover. 
So maybe it is true that Jerry did all of these things because he was so distraught by the fact that his wife had left him for another man. And I can see wanting to, you know, revamp the home that you shared with this woman who allegedly ran off. But to go as far as destroying your security system and then purchasing a new one, that's extreme. That seems really, really odd to me. And it doesn't quite fit the same realm of fixing or changing things because she left. So while this all seems like a major crazy red flag for authorities, they were struggling to figure out why he would have wanted to get rid of his wife and stepson. From all that they could really see about the relationship, it didn't seem like a bad one. So why would he want her gone? But when authorities spoke to Susan's best friend, Holly, again, she revealed a potential motive to them. Holly provided authorities with several email exchanges that had taken place between herself and Susan not long before Susan had gone missing. At the beginning of this email exchange, Susan expressed that the information in the emails were going to be private and a place where they could share things in secret. So whatever it was that Susan wanted to talk about was something she didn't want anyone else to know about. Susan confided in Holly that Jerry was extremely controlling and would look through her phone and read her text messages often, so she wasn't ever fully able to say much in text. So this exchange of emails was their way of communicating and discussing things that he wouldn't be able to find. Now, just before she and her son went missing, Susan had stumbled upon something that was incredibly bothersome about her husband. She told Holly that she found Jerry on a male escort website. She sent screenshots to Holly of this profile, as well as some correspondence that she had found between Jerry and other men. And on this ad that Jerry listed for himself, he was seeking out other men to quote unquote be a play toy for. Now, in the pictures on the ad, Jerry's face was not posted on there. She was able to identify that it was, in fact, Jerry because the pictures that he had posted was from his backside in some interesting positions, but he had very distinct tattoos that she was able to say that is, without a doubt, her husband. To find something like this out about your husband would be completely devastating, and Susan was absolutely blindsided and distraught over this. Not only that, but she was scared for her own well-being. She had no idea what kind of people Jerry had been in contact with physically and verbally. She didn't know if he was taking precautions when having sexual contact with these people and then to come home and be intimate with her. There's just so many emotions that Susan had felt over finding out that her husband had listed himself on an escort service, was cheating on her with people from this website, and Susan felt scared and stuck. Here she is, the stay-at-home mom that quit her job because her husband talked her into it, and again, just so many emotions going on. So Susan started to plan to leave Jerry obviously because all of this. So she started to try and find herself a job and figure out where she would go and what she would do to get herself and her son out of the situation. She also didn't confront Jerry right away. She held on to this information for some time while she began planning her escape from yet another marriage. 
Holly, of course, was trying to be a great support for her friend and encouraged her to do whatever she had to do to get herself out of this marriage and safely. And I say safely because Susan had claimed feeling like she needed to be careful because Jerry was becoming more and more possessive and more and more controlling. And he would even drive her places, not allowing her to drive herself. He would even go as far as making Susan talk on the phone on speakerphone so he could hear the conversations. On May 16th, Holly recalls seeing Susan in person, and she remembers that Susan told her that Jerry and her had worked things out. Susan said that the two of them communicated and decided that they loved each other so much that they were going to work through this and stay together. I found a quote that Holly had said in a post on Facebook, and I'm just going to go ahead and read it exactly how it was written. Holly said, quote, I know that his story that we were told was that she had left him for another man. And it's like I've said from the beginning, if that was true, then she would have told me. I don't believe that and I have never believed that. She wouldn't have done that without telling me. And one of the last things she said to me on May 16th in person was that, that they had worked things out, that they had communicated and they loved each other and she was staying with him. So you tell me how she tells me on May 16th that everything is fine and on every day I talk to her until May 29th. And then he claims that she just up and left him, end quote. So for Holly, this whole entire thing seems unlikely. Susan, one, would have told her. And two, she was constantly saying that they worked things out up until May 29th when Holly had last heard from her. And then she allegedly just ran off after that. Holly says that she believes both Susan and Evan are no longer on this earth. She said there is no way that Susan would have gone this long without talking to her after they had been best friends for nearly a decade. Authorities and Susan's family also do not believe Susan and Evan are still alive. Unfortunately, there just isn't enough evidence to pin anything on anyone. They also consider the fact that there has been absolutely zero sightings of Susan and Evan, not even potential sightings. There has literally been nothing to indicate that the two are still alive. And I think that as so much time has passed, if Susan and Evan were still alive, they would have came forward by now. There is no sense in hiding for so long and causing so much pain and anguish to their family. Authorities also weren't able to find any communications that Susan may have had with another man. There was no secret emails exchanged like she had done with Holly. There was no phone records to indicate communications with anyone unknown, even though it seems like Susan would have hid that since Jerry looked through her stuff. So if this was someone she truly ran off with, it likely would have been a local man or someone she was able to communicate with in person. But again, that doesn't quite seem likely to me because I feel like someone would have known something and been able to come forward with some sort of information. Another thing that aligns with the theory that they no longer are alive is the fact that Evan never went to school anymore. He was 14 years old, so he had several more years of high school left, and he never returned to school there in Holtville. He never began school somewhere else. And to top it all off, Evan actually had some medical conditions where he needed prescriptions daily. Those prescriptions were never refilled. 
the prescriptions were never transferred to a new pharmacy, and I couldn't find whether these prescriptions were something that Evan needed to take every single day to stay alive or not, but when considering the possibility of Susan leaving for another man, she would have still taken care of her son. She would have made sure that he had his regular prescriptions that he had to take. She would have made sure that he would have continued his education. It just doesn't make sense. Now, authorities have said that Jerry is a person of interest in this case. They won't label him as a suspect, just that he is a person of interest and the only person of interest. But I do know that authorities have said that they found some information on Jerry's computer that has them very concerned and suspicious. They haven't released what exactly they found, but they have said that it is absolutely not something that any normal person would be searching on their computer. There is just a lot of questions surrounding Jerry, and this computer situation is an even more red flag to me. The fact that they will not release exactly what they found on the computer or what those searches were make me believe that they're kind of holding it close to the vest to protect the integrity of the case, to protect, you know, whatever. But it does seem like if they found something and they're not releasing it, it is something that is really bad. Now, Crime Watch Daily did go to his home, and they tried to interview Jerry. He advised them to speak with his counsel, and he shut the door in their faces. So he really does not try to speak publicly. He hasn't been seen trying to bring awareness to this case at all, which could potentially be because she truly did leave with another man. But there's just so many red flags to indicate otherwise. At the time of her disappearance, Susan Osborne was 42 years old, and her son, Evan Chartrand, was 14 years old. Susan is a white female with brown hair, blue eyes, and stands at 5'3 and 120 pounds. She has her ears pierced, and her nickname is Susie. At the time of their disappearance, Evan was around 5'7 and 160 pounds. He is a white male with brown hair and blue eyes. If you or anyone you know has information on their whereabouts, you can contact the Elmore County Sheriff's Department at 334-567-5546. I also want to remind everyone that while things seem a certain way, Jerry is innocent until proven guilty. We are not blaming him for their disappearance, just simply discussing how things look from this side of things. I know a lot of people are going to feel very strongly on this case, and I know myself personally have my own thoughts and opinions, so make sure you guys are in our private Facebook group to discuss them. You can find it by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group. In there, we share all information and pictures pertaining to the cases that we cover, and we also encourage all of our members to share all things true crime. You can also find us over on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast. And if you'd like more true crime content, you can follow me on TikTok at the same username of crimeaholics.podcast. Lastly, if you wish to follow myself personally, you can find me on Instagram at crimeaholly. Crimeaholics, that is all for this week's Missing Monday. Until next time, be aware and take care. I will be back on Friday. Bye-bye.